Hello, friends, and welcome to Into the Word, a radio and online program committed to reading, loving, and living the whole counsel of God. Lord willing, our intention is to go verse by verse and chapter by chapter through the entire Bible. Here to continue that journey is our Bible teacher at Into the Word, Pastor Paul Carter. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. Hope you have your Bible open in front of you today to Job chapter 5. This is the second half of Eliphaz's first speech. We spoke yesterday in our last episode about how Eliphaz is saying true things. He is spouting proverbial wisdom. And in many situations, his counsel would be exactly right and probably quite helpful, but it does not apply in Job's case. He doesn't see far enough. He doesn't think wide enough. And he doesn't know anything about the hidden purposes of the Lord's providence in Job's life. Eliphaz has a very simple view of the world. Good people are blessed. Wicked people are cursed. Job was blessed, so Job must have been living right at one point. But Job is now cursed, so Job must have done something wrong. Therefore, what Job ought to do is fall on his face and repent of his sins and all will surely be restored. That is what Eliphaz suggests. That is what Eliphaz believes. He is offering counsel in accordance with his own personal theology. And and that is one of the intended takeaways. Your theological blind spots will cause you to hurt and wound the people around you. That's exactly what happens in this chapter. Hear now the word of the Lord beginning at verse 1. Call now. Is there anyone who will answer you? To which of the holy ones will you turn? Now, you'll remember that in chapter 4, Eliphaz appealed to his own experiences. He had never seen an exception to the general rule that good people are blessed and wicked people are cursed. That holds true 100% of the time, he said, which almost defies belief. It certainly suggests that wealthy people can insulate themselves from reality, if nothing else. Then, after appealing to his own experiences, he appeals to a charismatic vision that he had, wherein an angel came and told him that he was right in his view of the world. By the way, isn't it interesting how often our dreams and visions confirm us in what we desperately want to believe? The Bible wounds us, confronts us, and rebukes us, which is probably why So many people prefer to listen to their own dreams. So here, Eliphaz is quite proud of the fact that he's had a dream. And he asks Job if any spirit has come to him recently in his dreams. To which of the holy ones will you turn? Is there an angel out there who confirms you in your point of view? No? Well then, perhaps it's time for you to get on board. That's what he says. In verse 2, he says, Surely vexation kills the fool, and jealousy slays the simple. I have seen the fool taking root, but suddenly I cursed his dwelling. His children are far from safety. They're crushed in the gate. There's no one to deliver them. The hungry eat his harvest, and he takes it even out of thorns, and the thirsty pant after his wealth, for affliction does not come from the dust." nor does trouble sprout from the ground. But man is born to trouble 
as the sparks fly upward. Wow. Elevaz here says that stupidity eventually catches up to people. Fools may do well for a season. I've seen them taking root, but they will certainly collapse into their own self-made calamities given enough time and perhaps even given a little push by righteous human forces in the world. Eliphaz says that this is something of a private ministry of, of his. He, he likes to curse people who haven't yet started to reap what they have sown. In verse 7, he says that he curses fools, and, and God uses that to turn their situation around and to begin to bring on them the price of their wickedness and folly. What a cheery thought. If we aren't getting what we deserve, there's a self-righteous windbag in Edom prepared to curse us and to bring upon us all the punishment we have earned. That's good news. At the end of the day, though, whether Eliphaz curses us or not, people eventually get what they deserve. People run to trouble like moths to a flame. They, they make trouble as a fire makes spark. It's just what they do. And Eliphaz implies that this is what Job has done. He's made some kind of mistake. He's taken a wrong turn, and he has brought this trouble down on his own head. Tremper Longman III comments here saying, According to Eliphaz, trouble is not a rarity among human beings. They are born for it. It comes naturally to them like eating, drinking, and sleeping. The implication is that they deserve it through their stupid actions, closed quote. That's a pretty terrible thing to say to a person who has just lost everything and everyone that they have. You brought this on yourself. You did something stupid or something sinful and summoned this calamity upon your own head. That is devastatingly unkind. Eliphaz continues his speech in verse 8. As for me, I would seek God, and to God would I commit my cause, who does great things and unsearchable, marvelous things without number. He gives rain on the earth and sends waters on the fields. He sets on high those who are lowly and those who mourn are lifted to safety. He frustrates the devices of the crafty so that their hands achieve no success. He catches the wise in their own craftiness, and the schemes of the wily are brought to a quick end. They meet with darkness in the daytime and grope at noonday as in the night. But he saves the needy from the sword of their mouth and from the hand of the mighty. So the poor have hope and injustice shuts her mouth. Ironically, this is one of the most beautiful poems about the majesty of God in all the Bible. It is being used as a hammer to beat poor Job into submission, but on its own, it is a marvelous account of all God's perfect doings in the world, and it is intended to make the case that we can therefore entrust our cause to him. Eliphaz says that God is doing just a wonderful job of running the world, and, and so if I were to fall into trouble, I would simply throw myself upon the mercy and wisdom of his administration. That's the path of wisdom, he says. That's what I would do. And of course, he isn't wrong, generally speaking. In verse 17, he says, Behold, blessed is the one whom God reproves. Therefore, despise not the discipline of the Almighty. For he wounds, 
but he binds up. He shatters, but his hands heal. Again, that's not untrue on the face of it. In fact, Calvin wrote a whole sermon on these two verses. He identified wholeheartedly with what Eliphaz is saying about the fatherly administration of God. God is wise, strict, and kind. That's who he is as a father. And to be honest, how would you argue with that? The apostle Peter calls him father who judges in 1 Peter 1, 17. Strict dad, right? Proverbs 3, 11 to 12 says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father to the son in whom he delights. That passage is actually quoted word for word in Hebrews 12. So everyone, Old Testament new, everyone agrees that God is a wise, kind, but strict father. And he does discipline us from time to time in order to draw us out of sin and closer unto himself. Calvin remarked upon that in his sermon on these two verses. He said, God then means not that his majesty should be so dreadful to us, but his meaning is to draw us to him in order that we should love him, not only when he does us good, but also when he chastises us for our sins, closed quote. So God spanks our bum, Calvin says, and and we mustn't protest that or become angry at that. We must see it as an expression of his firm fatherly love. He wants to heal us of our tendency towards wickedness and teach us how to behave as his precious children. That is true. And Eliphaz is saying that must be what is going on here. You've acted wickedly, Job, and your firm, wise, strict, but loving father is taking you out to the woodshed. You need to take that like a man, cry if you must, but then repent, reform, and carry on, and good things will happen. Eliphaz begins to speak about those good things. He says in verse 19, he will deliver you from six troubles. In seven, no evil shall touch you. In famine, he will redeem you from death, and in war from the power of the sword. You shall be hidden from the lash of the tongue, and shall not fear destruction when it comes. At destruction and famine, you shall laugh and shall not fear the beasts of the earth. For you shall be in league with the stones of the field, and the beasts of the field shall be at peace with you. You shall know that your tent is at peace, and you shall inspect your fold and miss nothing. You shall know also that your offspring shall be many, and your descendants as the grass of the earth. You shall come to your grave in ripe old age, like a sheaf gathered up in its season. Behold, this we have searched out. It is true here and know it for your good. Take your spanking, Eliphaz says. Reform your character and all will be blessed once again. You'll be well spoken of. You'll be rich. You'll live a long life. You will be safe in war. You'll have lots to eat. Once you are behaving properly, you will be treated like the prince that you are. That's what Eliphaz says. But imagine how that sounded in the ears of Job. He's just been told that all of his terrible suffering is ultimately attributable to some mistake or misdeed of his. He has brought down his house about his own ears, he's being told. His children are dead because of his own wickedness and folly. That's a hard pill to swallow. Now, the trick here for us as readers 
is to understand why Eliphaz's counsel was ultimately deemed to be sinful and inadequate. It isn't that Eliphaz said untrue things, the Lutheran commentator Franz Delich remarks here. All that Eliphaz says, considered in itself, is blameless. But the speech of Eliphaz, beautiful and true as it is, when considered in itself, is nevertheless heartless, haughty, stiff, and cold. For it does not contain a word of sympathy, and yet the suffering which he beholds is so terribly great. His first word to his friend after the seven days of painful silence is not one of comfort, but of moralizing. Closed quote. Francis Anderson agrees with that assessment. He says, Eliphaz's fault is not that his doctrine is unsound. It is his ineptness as a counselor. Are you seeing that? Eliphaz said things that are true. God is a kind, loving, and strict father. And he does use suffering as a sort of bare-bum spank to pull people back from destructive habits and decisions and to return them to the path of righteousness. That is true. That is gloriously and marvelously true. But that doesn't explain all human suffering. Not all suffering should be interpreted as divine chastisement. That was the mistake of Eliphaz. His view was too narrow and too moralistic. Furthermore, his application of his narrow moralistic theology to a person in such obvious confusion and distress was tactless, heartless, and cold. He said true things that did not apply and that were not appropriate at that particular point in the grieving process. In Eliphaz's speech, we are reminded of the limitations of human wisdom, and we are freshly motivated to pursue the richer, deeper, and ultimately more satisfying truths of the gospel. Thanks be to God. And thank you for listening to another episode of Into the Word. If you've appreciated the Into the Word ministry, I'd like to personally invite you to pay it forward by supporting one of our preferred mission partners. For the remainder of this year, we are highlighting the church planting ministry Mile One in St. John's, Newfoundland. Newfoundland is classified as an unreached population, with less than 2% of people identifying as evangelicals. Mile One Ministries is committed to helping healthy churches plant other Bible-believing, gospel-preaching churches. Here at End of the Word, I only promote ministries that I have firsthand on-the-ground experience with. Mile One is bearing fruit and is being led and stewarded by people that I know and trust. If you'd like to make a contribution to this important ministry, you can do that by visiting the Into the Word website at intotheword.ca. There are giving options there under the Give tab for both Canadian and American listeners. International listeners are welcome to give as well, though their gifts may not qualify for charitable receipts in their nation. Thank you for considering this method of showing your support for the End of the Word program. And may God alone be glorified. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. 